Well, good morning. I am so excited to be with you this morning and uh, have been praying as I have been preparing that all of our thoughts and all of our affections would be driven, driven to the one that reigns on high, the sovereign one who called each of us individually by name and desires to use us now for his glory to proclaim the glory of our God in the fullness of Christ. God that has called us is a God who is a self-exalting God. He seeks the worship of those that he has called to himself. Only God can be seeking worship, seeking to be adored, and at the same time be perfectly holy and perfectly righteous in that. Only God can balance these two sides. And that is because he knows that when we have intimacy with him, when we are worshiping him, when we have that sweet relationship, we have found our greatest good. And that is why he is a self-exalting God. He tells us in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We find our greatest good when God is exalted in our lives. If God is to love you, what must he do? He must give you what is best for you. And the best thing for you in all the world is God. If he were to give you every material possession, great success, and every personal relationship that you desire, and yet withhold himself, that would display great loathing. If he were to give you himself and nothing besides, he's being infinitely loving. The psalmist clearly understood this when he penned the words, in your presence, O God, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God there is fullness of joy. This is the truth from his word. Do we embrace this? Do I embrace this? There is fullness of joy in the presence of our God. And our sovereign king who reigns on high is drawing individuals into this joy, into this presence, into a relationship with himself as he draws the nations to himself in a very dark corner of the world. I have the privilege of serving in Togo, West Africa, where God has chosen to establish a medical work, a medical work that gives us a platform, a platform to proclaim the glories of our king. My family has been privileged to see firsthand the hand of God doing things that can only be explained by his heart to reach the nations. He has established this work and um, I want you to get a glimpse of it. And so this morning, I invite you to take a tour with me, a video tour of this facility that God has established. And I believe that you will join us in saying, wow, look what God has done. Clearly, look what God has done. This is a hand of our mighty God who has a heart to reach the nations with the truth of all that Jesus has accomplished for them. Just recently, just a few weeks ago actually, we celebrated a phenomenal milestone in this ministry when we registered our 100,000th patient. So since the beginning, yes, our glory to the king, right? 
So since the beginning of this hospital in 2015, we have seen 100,000 patients who have come to us from across West Africa to seek their physical healing, and they have received so much more than that. They have heard truth of who Jesus is, and we give all the praise and the glory to the one who is doing all of this, sustaining his work. This morning, I'm asking you to consider um, consider a privileged and beautiful path for your life, a path of being proclaimers of the glory of God. Now, when I speak of this path, I will never tell you that it is easy or comfortable or without cost, but I will tell you that if you seek to be driven to Jesus, if you seek intimacy with the one who called you, and if you want to receive some of God's greatest blessings this side of heaven, this path will lead you there. But I must also tell you that this path is not without cost. I must be open and transparent with you this morning and tell you uh, that our family has experienced enormous, excruciating pain and deep grief on this path. With the death of my husband in 2016, the father of my four sons, when he contracted an illness from one of his patients and died just two weeks later, but we have been launched on a path of great security and purpose. Security knowing that it is the arms of our Savior that carry us, and that it is in his strength and his strength alone that we can press on. He's told us time and time again in his, in his word that he uses the weak and foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He uses our, our weakness to manifest his strength, and that is exactly what he is doing. So as I speak of all of my life, life's experiences, I ask you this morning to consider your life's experiences up until this point as just the beginning, just the slightest shred of the story that God is writing for your life. Now, I don't say that to you because you're, you're young, as the majority of you are less than half my age, but because eternity is laid out before us without end. And this life on the earth is but a blip on the screen of the life that God has planned for you. Even 60 or 70 years down the road, at the end of your physical life, it will be only the beginning. It will be perhaps only the cover and the title page written of the life that God is writing for you. And so this blip on the screen, this life on the earth, has enormous consequences. And the decisions that you are making right now that affect the entire trajectory of your life are very important. And so as I've spoken of this medical work that we are involved in, I thought that this morning it would be very good of us to do some diagnostics of our own heart, for you to diagnose your own heart and what is going on now. Because the choices that you are making now affect what is going to be happening 10 years down the road. And so I'm going to present you with six diagnostic questions. Questions, to be quite honest, that I have to ask of my own heart because these are the questions that keep me on the path that God has for me personally. So join me in diagnosing your heart's condition today. This is like a spiritual MRI for you to consider. First of all, do I consider the glory of God? 
do we desire that the glory of God be celebrated in this world? When was the last time that I sought to act or speak in such a way that my God is glorified and magnified, that others look at me and they see him? Because my greatest desire is that he is magnified, that he is glorified. Clearly that was the idea from the prophet Isaiah when he penned these words. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Your name and renown, your fame, not my own, the name of Jesus, that it would be exalted. Is this my desire? And as I look um, at the path that you are right, that you are on right now, I have to ask you, please evaluate that path. Ask yourself, am I being led to walk on a path that will most glorify God? And I say that because I believe that God often asks us to do very difficult things so that he is magnified and it is his strength alone that can equip us to accomplish those things. Are we seeking that the glory of God be celebrated? Our second diagnostic question, do I see the blessings and trials in my life linked directly to his goals and his purposes? We have the blessing of having a father who is completely sovereign, the sovereign one who reigns on high and holds all authority is your father. This sovereignty is spoken of in this passage that I love so much. Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The sovereign one who reigns on high, who knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. If he holds that kind of authority, can I not trust that he has never stepped away from orchestrating the details of my life, both my blessings and the tragedies and trials that I have had to face? Now, I believe there are probably individuals here this morning that question, question some of the tragedies, the grief, perhaps even the abuse that you have been asked to endure. Our world is broken, and this is not the original design of our Father. But I'm asking if we can look at those tragedies and trials and look at those as a, as a loving design from a heavenly Father who's tender-hearted, and his greatest goal in you is his glory, that you would be driven to Jesus, you would begin to treasure Jesus above all else. And in doing so, you would actually be protected from some of life's greatest sorrows. I cling to this truth and I share it often that some of the deepest valleys that we are called to walk through become the well from which we draw to have the greatest kingdom impact. Do we embrace this? This is the economy of the kingdom. Our next diagnostic question. Do I treasure Jesus above all else? My friends, many things are vying for our attention. And this morning I want to challenge you to consider a number. Consider the number of times in a day that your attention is drawn to that device in your hand. And now consider the number of times in a day when your attention, your affections, your heart's desire, and your heart's cry are driven to the one who called you by name, 
the one who delights in hearing your voice, the one with whom you will spend eternity. This is a battle, and I'm speaking to the patterns and habits of my own life. We must battle that our affections would be drawn to him. We must be asking God that he would turn our affections towards him. This is his desire. This is his will, that our affections would be towards him. He tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And it is his will that our affections would be towards him. So please join me in praying this prayer moment by moment. Oh God, turn my affections away from the purposeless enticements of this world that are wasting my time and ultimately wasting my life. And turn my affections towards you. Knowing your word, digging deep into the, the treasures of God's word and having our affections pointed towards him. The next question for us today, a diagnostic question, is there a besetting sin that I refuse to forsake? Perhaps you believe that this sin keeps you from being competent to serve. This morning, I want you to grasp that the gospel message of complete and perfect forgiveness is for you. Perhaps you think you've gone too far. These habits are too long-standing. These patterns have been going on too long. I'm here this morning to look you in the face and tell you that that is a lie from our adversary, the evil one who wants to destroy you. The gospel message of complete forgiveness Is the, gospel, is the message that you are called to embrace because it is the very message that you are called to proclaim. This is the economy of the kingdom. Let us consider the profoundness of the gospel in the life of Peter. Peter, the leader, the leader of leaders who became that only after he clearly blew it through his traitorous denial of even knowing Jesus. His rebellious, traitorous sin was the deepest. Therefore, his repentance was the greatest. And I believe that his firm understanding of the extravagant grace of the gospel was the most profound. God then used him to accomplish beautiful things because of his clear understanding of the wonderful grace that is available to us. If we want to continue down this path, we could consider the life of the murderer, the murderer of the Apostle Paul, the one who God used to pen so many of the words that keep us on this path today. Does this not correspond with the very words of Jesus when he spoke of the woman who was at his feet in great sorrow and repentance, so much so that she was washing his feet with her tears. And Jesus said of her, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. We must join the psalmist 
this prayer from centuries ago and yet still so applicable today for us. Help us, O God, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. I beg of you this morning to repent. The gospel message of complete and perfect forgiveness is for you because it is the very message that you are called to proclaim to the nations. Our next diagnostic point. Do I embrace a firm assurance of our hope? God wants us to feel hope. I need this message. When we consider our calling as Christ followers to go and share the truth that we have been given, we must have hope. God gives us a clear understanding of what he wants to do in making this message known here in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is what will happen, and there is hope in knowing that we cannot fail. Our God is not a liar. <laughs> he will accomplish what he has called us to do. We must have hope in this. We cannot control the culture around us nor the circumstances of our lives, but we can control our firm confidence in God's word, and that changes everything. I must look at pessimism as unbelief, practical atheism, and not take that path. We must ignore individuals who sow pessimism with statistics about what is happening in our nation or the nations of this world. We must be a people of hope. Oh, how much time is wasted within the church highlighting the works of our adversary as if there's no God in heaven who does whatever he chooses to draw the nations to himself. Do we believe that our nation or the nations of this world are worse than Corinth? Corinth, where the voice of Jesus says to Paul, do not be afraid, but speak. Do not be silent, for I am with you, for I have many people in this city. Jesus is repeating a common phrase that he has already said to his disciples. There are other sheep that are not of this fold, and they will listen to you. Jesus has a common theme for us, and it is a theme of hope when we choose to be obedient and speak the truth of who he is. Those that Jesus is calling are out there, and they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and they must be gathered in from their scattered positions among the nations. This is the firm hope that we have. Our last diagnostic question. Am I willing to embrace risk for the sake of the kingdom? We will never be the soldiers that we are called to be unless we embrace risk. Risk that can only be explained by our firm confidence that we will be raised from the dead? Do we believe in the resurrection? As a mother of four sons, I'm pretty sure that this is the point that your mothers would prefer I not speak of this morning. 
They would prefer that I leave this out. But I cannot, because it's not left out of scriptures. We must live lives that show that our hope is not in the things of this world. We are not working to accumulate things in this world that will all pass away. We live in such a way that the only explanation for our life is that we will be resurrected from the dead. (laughs) I believe that Paul clearly understood this. He spoke of this in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 and giving us a strategy for our life. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Christ as Lord, we as servants. Paul understood the miraculous countercultural effectiveness of the strategy that God laid out, and he lived out his life showing his strong belief. We're called to be servants. We're called to humble ourselves and serve people that are not like us. Those that are walking in darkness and so desperately need to hear of the hope that we have, the eternal hope. And it is when we humble ourselves as servants that this equation works out. When we humble ourselves, scriptures tell us that the spiritually blind will be given their sight. This is the economy of the kingdom, and we must embrace it if we want our lives to matter beyond this world. And so this morning, I leave you with these six points. And I ask you to evaluate your own life. And I beg of you to consider a path, a beautiful path of being proclaimers of the glory of God that you would set aside your affections for the things of this world, that you would set aside a desire for an American dream, so that at the end of your life, when you look back on your life and you see where you have invested, that you will see that you invested in things that matter and things that will endure into eternity. This is our calling and this is our privilege. It is a beautiful path. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the fact that we have a living hope. God, we echo the prayer of the prophet in saying, show us your glory. We know that if we see your glory and your beauty, our affections will be for you and you alone. Father, we see that our deepest problem is not just rebellion to your authority, but blindness to your beauty. Father, please release us from the slavery of an egocentric faith. Awaken in us a reality that Christ's death on the cross delivered us from the slavery of living for ourselves. Stir a fire in our hearts to pursue you with all that we are. We're so desperate for you. We are such a weak and needy people. May Christ be magnified in our weakness. Stir within us your desires for the path that you've laid out for us, for the glory of our King Jesus and for him alone. We love you so much. We pray all this in the powerful 
and loving name of our Savior, Jesus, who accomplished all things for us. Amen.